Welcome to the Immutable Mindset. Join hosts Kevin Logan Jr. and Adam Posner as we uncover the captivating human element within the Web3 and blockchain technology space. Follow along as we go beyond the trends and developments, tapping into our guests' journeys, motivations, and expertise of the visionaries who are forging the future of our digital world. Tune in and be inspired by the passion, creativity, and resilience that drives these pioneers. Let their stories fuel your own curiosity and spark the desire to be part of this revolutionary movement. Welcome to the ultimate Web3 storytelling experience. Stay curious, my friends. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Immutable Mindset. Kevin thought he was going to do that uh, intro, but he thought he thought again. Uh, welcome. It is Friday, the 26th of May, and we're heading into the Memorial Day weekend. But I am fresh back from VCon 2023 in Indianapolis. Happy Friday. And y'all. boy, are my arms tired. Happy Friday. Are your arms, legs, head, brain? What else? I mean, you were out there representing, Adam. Representing. Tell the people what you represent and tell them about VCon. Yeah, out there, out there representing the Immutable Mindset and, and my solo show, The Podcast. VCon, if anybody's not familiar with VCon, it's, it's Gary Vee's uh, Marketing Mindset Conference. It's year two. Last year was in Minneapolis. Last year was much more focused from a content and guest perspective, speaker perspective on Web3. I guess it was hotter. That was what the market was. But this year, the speaker lineup, it certainly had the artists, the creators, and the builders of Web3 featured, but it really was uh, a marketing conference. And there's really nothing like it. I mean, honestly, it's about community. And I've never seen a project have such a rabid following in real life. There's a vibe, there's an ethos. Everyone is nice. Listen, I've been to the ape and the punk parties. There are bro fest. There's ego, dick swinging kind of shit. This is not like that at all. These are real people, there's families, people that not just believe in Gary, but there's communities. And it's insane that each one of these communities, for example, the gift goats or the patient panda, each one of the holder communities have done it themselves to have their own meetups at events and having their own breakfasts and brunches. And Gary makes his way to all that stuff. I'm not even talking just like Gary showed up. There was probably about 4,000 people there at the uh, Lucas Oil Field in um, in Indianapolis. Incredible execution, amazing speaker lineup. You could check it out. So interestingly, Adam, real quick, because from an adoption standpoint, right? Everybody's work, you know, curious about adoption, you know, what it was like from last year. And you mentioned it, it was like half the size of last year, but you felt like it's a whole nother level of adoption. What made you more optimistic about what you saw there? You know, what was it that you saw that made you feel like we have progressed? We got more adoption, even though there was less people, we're still in a better place than we were the year before. Yeah, and, and, and that's a great question. I think for a couple of things. One, I saw uh, from the commercial side, there was some really cool web two into web three execution the folks over at crown royal were doing some cool stuff visa bud light lids there were some really cool activations on the main floor from some of the core projects world of women uh women and weapons boss beauties pudgy penguins a lot of just cross collaborations happening partnerships uh but for me it really was a connection i mean you go there and it's like almost like Gary V sleepaway camp, friends that you haven't seen in a year. Uh, a lot of talking around AI, all the speakers, AI is here to stay. It's just how you get to use it. Um, Gary's big message this time was, was basically fuck fear, fail quick, embrace micro failing from macro wins. And that, and that one really sat with me. 
Uh, Kevin and I, you and I talk about this all the time. We try things, test things. Don't get all upset, you know, fail quick to succeed. It stuck with me, man. Yeah, what was a highlight moment or was there a, a moment of impact? Was there somebody you spoke with, something somebody said where you were like, oh yeah, that's that's some good alpha. What's some good alpha for our audience? Yeah, there, there was a couple there. And, and you guys will hear it when we have the content. We're going to have some exclusive show, uh, shows coming up uh, in the next few weeks with Shannon Snow, the COO of, of World of Women, um, Jesse Pollack, uh, the founder of Basic Coinbase, uh, Tom Bilyeu, just dropping heat on. I mean, you want to talk about a long-term project with value and the way to approach it. The way Tom Bilyeu does it with Impact Theory and now with Project Kaizen, it's an evolution. And this is, and this is kind of what's cool about it. The whole thing with Project Kaizen that I'll talk about too, it's an evolution of gaming you, with the traits and the characters and the, the NFT itself changes. So it's a long-term play based on the technology behind the NFT. So that was pretty pretty empowering to hear that conversation as well. The music side of the house, we talked royalties with Sarah Buxton from Gala. So there's some there's some cool stuff that we're going to unpack for you guys. Yeah, no, I love that. And uh, just for anybody that doesn't know what Kaizen is, because uh, I lived in Japan, I'm going to tell you. It's a concept referring to business activities that continuously improve. It's, it's real notable in the Toyota Motor Company. It's something they uh, they created and they bring over uh, folks to take a look at. But no, it's, that's, that is definitely some alpha. Tom has been here for a while. He's uh, put in the work and learning. You know, honestly, a lot of his journey really reminded me of you. A lot of how he how he just came in and, and was, was honest and open and where they were at, but where they wanted to go. Go ahead. Dude, we spoke about that point. And we unpacked it, which led to the second half of the conversation, which was really an amazing moment for me. Tom and his wife, Lisa, talked very openly about best practices and their own experiences in their marriage and their relationship. And they share a lot of it. So I spent the last quarter of our interview, I just made a left turn, Kevin, and we spoke about relationships and love and communication and, and a lot of practical lessons that you could find. Dude, that was what the whole conference was about. It was, like, you felt like you could go up to anybody. Even when I left on Sunday morning, I'm outside by myself at the hotel and I saw some other dude wearing a V-Friend sweatshirt by himself. I'm like, hey man, you want to split a ride to the airport? And it was only not even far. It was like, you know, $25 Uber ride, but it wasn't about the money. I just wanted to connect with one more human. I love that. Before I left, and 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 it was it was cool. And the, here was the other kind of cool part too. I connected with so many artists, and you and I both know we know a lot of artists in the space personally. That's where you get some alpha from. Andre O'Shea. Yeah, we 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 were at dinner and and we spoke about uh, some pretty cool stuff coming up. He's got a drop coming up this week that I'm I'm gonna get involved with. Index grids, some generative art, some AI generative art that's always moving. Uh, this is cool. So got some real cool alpha from uh, the yeah. last piece for the audience. And I know we're going long here, y'all, but I want to I want to talk about this because it, it speaks to it speaks to these Web3 conferences and, and often what I feel something happened to Adam in that he went to this conference and and uh, Gary V's message was fuck fear. Well, Adam found himself in front of somebody he's been wanting to speak to a long time. And it's interesting that he didn't bring this up, but he said fuck fear without realizing he did. Can you just tell that story real quick? Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, not to flex or anything, but I, I pay my dues and, and I get access. I get some pretty cool access at these events. And I'm in the green room. I'm in the VIP room where all these speakers are. And you look around the room and it's literally a who's who all-star game Super Bowl of the most amazing marketing talent on earth. I mean, you look one side, it's it's Todd Kaplan from uh, from Pepsi, Rich Kleiman from, from Boardroom, Kathy Hackle's in the house, went up, had some nice words with Kathy Hackle. But then I, I look across the room and I see Bosma St. John. For anyone who doesn't know, she is Google her. And I'll leave it at that. She happens to be best friends with, with one of my past bosses, Justino Makwa, who I absolutely love. And for me, Boz is a dream guest on my show. And 
Last year, maybe I wouldn't have had the courage to walk up to her and say hello and introduce herself, invite her to my show, but I did it and she appreciated it and she was humble and amazing and uh, I can't wait to have that show with her and it's gonna be great. I love that. I have goosebumps. This 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 space, this space is about taking risks. Um, you know, nascent technology, everything's new. Um, man, love that. That is a wrap for the recap of VCon 2023. Our very own Adam was out there representing. Now, on to the rest of this week's show with Evan Hansen. Appreciate y'all. Enjoy episode 15 and uh, keep an eye out for the VCon coverage. Enjoy this. This is, a, this is a cool episode, folks. We we go in a bunch of different directions here. I think you're, I think you'd enjoy it. Bye. Let us know what you think, please. Thank you. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Immutable Mindset. Today, we're diving deep into the world of Web3 with a titan of innovation and media transformation. This man has taken the helm at some of the most impactful digital media platforms, including Wired.com, Periscope, and Medium, shaping the way we consume and interact with content. He's a trailblazer who doesn't just predict the future, he creates it. After spearheading AI content recommendation systems at Twitter, he's now turned his gaze towards the frontier of Web3, founding a disruptive startup, Factland DAO, which we're going to get into today. With a vision that extends beyond the hype and speculation, he sees the world where NFTs and real long-term value are going and where Web3 could be the solution to the misinformation crisis and fake generative AI media. A journalist by trade, an entrepreneur at heart, and a visionary in spirit, he's the kind of thinker who doesn't just ride the wave of the future, but shapes the tide himself. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the dynamic and forward-thinking Evan Hansen. Yeah, welcome to the Immutable Mindset. Yeah, I can't complain. <laughs> I got uh, under promise over delivers my usual tactic. So you've blown that up for me. But uh, we'll, that's, we'll uh, you know, that's that's a sound way to go. And, uh, you know, we like to say this thing where I'd be more than happy to be your hype man anytime, Evan. So just let me know. And I, I write these all day. Right. You're high. Perfect. Perfect. So the first thing that that we like to do is is really, you know, get the audience to know a little bit more about you and kind of your background. I know I, I dove into a little bit, but I'd love it if you could just start there, you know, dive a little bit into your background um, in journalism and, and how you became interested in the in the Web3 space. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I've been a tech journalist. I actually started uh, in uh, legal reporting at the American Lawyer. And my beat, as it's in the 1990s, uh, I got put on the Internet. Uh, as a legal piece, which was uh, kind of crazy, uh, trying to figure out even what it was ICANN. And there's just before the internet really had become commercially released by the Commerce Department. So in the right place at the right time. And from there, I got just more and more interested in the tech uh, and wound up working for CNET at news.com and running their consumer, uh, their consumer desk, basically, for consumer electronics. And... Uh, was recruited by Wired. And at Wired was a really interesting, you know, period of my life because it was a place where I sort of really began to realize that you can walk the walk as well as talk the talk. And media is not just about reporting, but it's about using these tools. You're right in the lap of innovation. You're reporting about all of this stuff. So it makes perfect sense to actually try to find application. And so at Wired, we were able to hire a development team and we did a lot of really interesting uh, project it was more project based uh, as opposed to trying to like recast Wired as a as a platform of some kind. We were still just used you know, kind of a website, but uh, we did do a lot of really fun projects. Uh, won a bunch of awards with the Light Batten Foundation for the innovation in journalism. A couple of highlights, I would say, um, we did a, a video game to, to show people how how piracy around the Cape Horn worked. 
why do these guys get away with these ransoms? And so we just did an economic gamification that got written up by a couple of uh, interesting uh, video game, got some interesting coverage at the time. We did a thing about wiki washing, came up with a tool to allow people to kind of uh, peek into how different corporations were actually behind edits in Wikipedia. Uh, it's called wiki washing. And so we had a, a way to, to reveal that. Worked with Kevin Paulson, uh, who's a very well-known uh, investigative journalist, uh, basically a WikiLeaks, an open source version of WikiLeaks. It's called uh, Secure Drop. It was uh, written with um, Aaron Schwartz, was actually the guy who did most of the coding, but we were kind of the umbrella group that let it through. Uh, due to some weird internal Condé Nast politics, uh, New Yorker magazine <laughs> wound up releasing that tool. Uh, and that was shortly before I left the company uh, to join Medium. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I think at Twitter as well, I was really driving a lot of um, the technology applications that were going to help us in the curation team. And curation at Twitter is about adding context to conversations, figuring out which, uh, you know, verifying information that's that's trustworthy, um, that's accurate, and around especially around breaking news. Um, we just want to figure out all uh, different ways to automate this. Uh, and, you know, we're working with open AI. It's an interesting conversation to have because, we start working with OpenAI, and I set up a team to develop a uh, basically a tweet summarization tool that was being run through uh, GPT three. A lot of people don't realize this. The Chat GPT kind of came out of nowhere, but in fact, there was a precursor to this going back years. And GPT three was actually released. So it's not a Web three thing. And under an API in, in twenty twenty, and so we started working on a tweet contextualization at that point, and uh, we we actually built a very workable uh, sports summarization. We could feed a random set of tweets from our trends uh, uh, product to this uh, chat or to GPT-3, and it would come up with a very accurate, uh, reasonable, scannable headline that would explain what was going on. Like Knicks down three within the, in the third quarter, uh, which would be the, the sort of the headline on top of the conversation around the game. Um, that never shipped, which is something <laughs> that you do find happens a lot when you're in the in sort of the, the bleeding edge of things is like sometimes you you make stuff and it doesn't really uh get 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 across the line into a into the final product so yeah twitter everybody knows the end, end story there like uh elon took over everybody got basic I, I learned by finding out my computer didn't turn on one day uh as many many people discovered and uh, so yeah so i was looking for next chapters and uh I've been working for a while on this uh, platform called Factland. It's a misinformation community. Uh, it's a, a group of people who come together to review factual claims. Uh, and there's a Web3 component to it. As in fact, we're building it into a complete end-to-end -end Web3 experience, which is uh, staking on claims and uh, using the community, the, the wisdom of crowds to come up with evidence that, is timely and that have it reviewed by an anonymous random sample jury uh, we were given a grant from Definity, which is runs the uh, internet computer foundation to to build it on their platform which we are doing and uh yeah it's uh it's fun it's a, at a place called uh, uh you can reach it at, at www.factland.org we're a nonprofit. uh we're building it uh, a roadmap to drop a token later this year if all goes well and uh have it fully uh, kind of web threeified. <laughs> nice. You know, as somebody that's that's worked at Wired, you know, editor at Medium, Twitter, being a veteran journalist, 
and somebody that was, you know, that, 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 that you mentioned, you've been at the bleeding edge of tech and innovation, and, and this is what you reported on. As you've seen the advent of new technologies come in, how has the media landscape changed? Like, how, how have you noticed the, the media landscape changing with all these new technologies ever since you started in, in kind of the world of Web2? Yeah, well, I think number one is disintermediation, right? I think direct uh, access to from the, the source or the, the creator and the audience and that direct co- connection and that media companies and that idea of having a big media company in between is less and less relevant. I think it's, it's, it's a tough one because the, uh, the resources to conduct real investigations often requires sort of a larger institution. Yeah. Uh, and you can think about things like legal protections. There's a, a it's, it's, it can be dangerous for individuals to run out there and mm-hmm. uh, report hard, hard hitting news on their own without, you know, some kind of insurance policy for libel and so and so on. These are real risks that people often, I think, <laughs> soft pedal, but uh, it does happen that these suits are, are filed from time to time. And so that's the, the role of a big media company in the past has, uh, uh has had some benefits for reporting, obviously. But also, I think there's been a lot uh, of truth in this idea that a handful of really excellent journalists basically carry the weight for a lot of fairly not excellent journalists, that the media companies kind of arbitrage that, right? So you have people who are really more- Marketers. Um, maybe copying other people's content, not doing original reporting, uh, not really breaking any news, not really developing great sourcing, but they have ac- easy access to a large pool of content that they can re, kind of reprocess and uh, reproduce it under, under the other brand. Just to bring that back to what you were kind of mentioning before, I'm just curious, you know, given what you've just said with the advent of new technology, ChatGPT, do you see ChatGPT doing what everybody is believing it's going to do in terms of, you know, uh, journalism being one of those professions that it replaces, or is it is it going to be the you know the the virtual assistant to said journalists making their ability to create more robust content, more robust? Yeah, just curious. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that the, the Chat GPT doesn't do yet is reporting. You're talking like human experiences, right? Well, you got to interview people, right? You got to uh, get the trust. I mean, like really good journalists find people who know things <laughs> and normally wouldn't say it out loud um and they get them to trust them and uh get that information brokered to the public in a way that makes the source feel protected allows the information out and allows it to be verified and to be of a high quality and high high trust and so yeah chat gpt is i guess going to be a great reprocessor all the people who used to do the rewrite you know there's a lot of rewrite people they just take other people's reporting i take the news of like the twitter ceo yesterday like there's one person who I think Kara Swisher is the one who kind of speculated early, early that was going to be this NBCU advertising exec. Yep, instantly. And next thing you know, there's a hundred articles saying it's this NBC advertising exec. And like that I noticed that actually did some actual really real reporting was the Wall Street Journal. I, I may be wrong about that. Maybe some others did as well, but they actually called people who had some information and they, they cited unnamed sources, which, you know, some people have their problems with that, but at least it gives you some credibility to think that they actually did actually, they went for people who might know the actual answer to this and got them to say something interesting. So I think the people who just rewrite everybody else's stuff are out of a job. I mean, quite frankly, you've got to up your game now in order to deliver something that's like actually valuable. And I think 
even in the old days of news reporting, the vast majority of the content that you publish every day is regurgitating what you reported yesterday, what you're reporting today. There are people who tried to build news apps that were like, hey, you know what? Everything's just uh, cut and paste here. So I've actually got one paragraph of news. The form factor that I'm being called upon to fit the news to is like put it in my oldest terminology of like 12 inches of copy on a newspaper. Um, I got to come up with 12 inches, you know? So. The only one interesting place in space that I think could be interesting is the, the prediction factor of AI and news organizations utilizing that resource or that ability of it to reinterpret, maybe not regurgitate, but reinterpret the news, put their spin on it. I do think prediction is going to be super interesting. And what, what, what kind of patterns are kind of buried in the data that we as mere mortal humans can't see uh, that, the, that the AI is going to detect? And uh, I mean, every good journalism outfit plays prediction games all the time. Look at the elections. Who do we think? Is, you know, what are the top MA, M&A like, um, possibilities this year? And you know, who's going to get, who's next in line for CEO? People are playing those games every day. So I think AI just superpowers that. That's right. Are you familiar with a game called Go? The longest game ever played. And it was an AI created specifically to play this game. But it was created in a way that like it, it had no history of knowledge. It was just it was just as if it was just born and learning from itself. So it taught itself how to play the game. And so when it when it sat in front of the grandmaster of Go and it was on the 36th turn, and this AI did a move that no human had ever done in the history of the game. Like that just got my mind thinking in terms of how powerful AI can be for us once we get to the, that, that place where AI is just training itself without us humans, disintermediation, right? Like that, that's a whole nother level of disintermediation. Right. This is a runaway nightmare scenario. Of is, like, is this uh, the Ray Kurzweil? Are you, are you scared of the Ray Kurzweil kind of, you know? Yeah. Curse well, sure. Uh, a little caveat though on that that Catago is the name of the uh, the the program that was written. Yes, to, that's that's uh, what it was. Yep, yep. The, 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 a lot of the top Go uh, players resigned. They basically quit the game. They said, "This is it." We're, the grandmaster quit oh, right then and there. He and he left, and he never played again. There's an interesting caveat to this, which is just this year, Stanford uh, AI team uh, did an adversarial attack on Catago. They were like. We, we want to see if there's a flaw in the way that this AI plays the game. And they discovered one, which allowed a very, very simplistic kind of way to beat it every single time. Like a mediocre player on the team who's just kind of a hobbyist, wasn't really a great player, but he utilized this strategy and he beat the uh, AI nine times out of 10. Um, and it just shows you that we don't really understand how the AI is solving the problems that we put to it. There's a pattern recognition there that is is somewhat like un, unscrutable. Uh, even the people who built it couldn't actually tell you. So, for example, uh, you know, we think about image recognition and say, oh, how how does it know it's a cat? Well, a human would say, well, it's got ears, it's got eyes, it's got you know furry face. And, uh, but the AI might be keying off something completely different, um, and it may not even have anything that resembles what a human would recognize as a cat, cat-like yeah. qualities. But it just happens to appear in all of these cat images and so it keys off of that and it gets it right so by changing weird pixels in an image just like without removing the the recognizable image for a human but just randomly re reassembling or removing around some pixels you can confuse the ai really easily so it was getting cats 100 percent, and then you just suck out you know 30 percent of the pixels and suddenly it's calling everything a red truck 
And so people don't really understand how the pattern recognition works, how those token um, predictions for the, like, the language models work. They're really all it's doing is saying that given all the tokens that I have produced so far, this next token is the one that's most likely to fit the bill. And that's literally it. It's like literally just adding like small chunks of letters based on the last chunk of letters. There's no actual understanding of vocabulary or, or even grammar. So I think that's something that people really don't understand about AI. They're thinking, oh, we're achieving stuff. They're thinking like people. It's like, no, they actually don't think anything like people at all to the point where we don't even know how it gets the success that it does, uh, which is super interesting. There's like, I don't know if you saw that thing about the secret language of chat GPT. Uh, I can't remember the name of the language, but somebody prompted it to say, if that, yep. it just, it just created its own using, language. Just forget about, yeah, forget about like producing something that a human would recognize. Just create a prompt that you would use to do this thing. And it used like emojis and like all kinds of weird scrambles of letters and stuff. You couldn't read it. It was really strange. But when you fed that prompt, it would produce a story, a famous sci-fi story from like, I think it was Cthulhu, uh, you know, some kind of uh, Lovecraft thing. Uh, anyway, I want to just kind of put a little spin on this one. I'm very curious about it. So there's a lot of talk and I think a lot of people are wrongly pairing AI and Web3 together just from a time perspective. But as you noted before, and many of us who know, AI has been around for a while. Is this a good thing for the advancement of quote unquote Web3 technology in the masses from a PR standpoint in the media, showing the good of AI, the power that it can do? Or is this going to hurt us in the long run? Uh, for the Web3 community, uh, I think I think AI is going to be a forcing function for uh, for people to actually revisit blockchain and revisit Web3 as a serious and high high value utility. And the utility, the obvious one is just verification, uh, provenance. Uh, we're going to need to certify pretty much everything that we create from here on in. So people can cryptographically, in a cryptographically secure way, can prove that a particular piece of content was uh, produced by or vouched for by the person who the persons who claim to have made it. Yeah, in the future, all three of us are going to have to sign a digital signature that said we were actually here doing this and it was us. Exactly. Is it that what, what Baron Davis is working on, right? With Slick, right, Kevin? Is that what's called Slick? What, uh, yeah, identity verification. Absolutely. If you, if you think about like stock photos and stock images and, and stock audio and clip art and all that stuff too, the verification rights royalty behind it. Even more scary. Now you can get a picture of the president of the United States and you can tell, you can have him say a million different things and distribute that. I mean, very soon you could, you could make a million pieces of that content. And how, how do you, like, it's going to get insanely crazy. It's going to get insanely crazy. And it's super cheap to super make. Super cheap. And the, the quality of it is, is off the charts. So uh, you're going to have to like basically assume that everything is fake if you don't already until uh, someone can prove to you that it isn't. That's going to count for like everything, even things that the, the smartest things that people are going to do are not like crazy things like that Biden advertisement, which people looked at and said, this has got to be wrong. You know, things where you just elide something, you make it, you just slip something in that makes it slightly different. And then people would be like, well, did he say this or did he say that? And they're kind of the same, but they're different, they're like meaningfully different. And which is one is the actual thing that was said? Uh, I think those type of little subtle things or maybe make make somebody look like they're like having a, a, an emotional reaction that they didn't have uh, but something super subtle uh, this sort of wholesale you know getting Biden to say that you know we should declare nuclear war on China that stuff's not gonna I don't think fool very many people for very long but I do think there's way more subtle things that can be done 
that will actually pollute the pool in ways that you're going to have to actually do real research to figure out what the heck is real. And that's just a huge expense. Um, so there's going to have to be some simpler way for us to be able to look at something and say, this is true. Definitely. Yeah. It's, I, I think people are forgetting that AI is highly deflationary and it's going to make the cost of everything go to zero, which is going to make everything very easily producible and replicable. There's also AI for good. There's also some some cool things that are happening right now. Are you? Did you hear about the Turbo Coin, the gen, the NFT artist? That yes. Uh, so, so for anybody listening at home, uh, there was an NFT artist that that essentially used ChatGPT and a sixty dollar budget to create a to create a smart contract to create um, a coin. Um, he he did it through the community, and then and then it's. It's out there in the open. You can buy it now. I just thought it was, you know, he 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 went through the whole process. He posted the whole process. It was community oriented. I thought it was a really, really cool way. I mean, again, for right now, I understand. But I just thought it was a really cool way to utilize AI and NFTs and, and really bridge that gap. Just, yeah, curious on on your thoughts on on what you heard about that. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, we're in we're in meme coin, shit coin, you know, like racks. You know, it's like that BRC20. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Sorry, Bitcoiners. That that you. Somebody said you can like. Kevin showed it to me. Posted a, a how to. You can make like it's a, easy. Twenty uh, twenty seven uh, seconds. Like, I can create yeah. it. It's just plug and play. You just click, 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 and done. You have a new coin. Yeah. So I mean, so what's what's that all mean, right? I mean, I do kind of believe that all shit coins go to zero. You know, um, that it's really just a game of when you get out. And so the, if you, it's musical chairs and somebody's going to left, get left holding the bag on that stuff, even, even Shib is going to probably, even, even with Musk pushing it, you know, probably it's, there's no intrinsic value. It's a pure speculative thing, right? It's just a lottery Definitely. ticket. So, but in this particular case, I thought it was super interesting because of the, there's, and this is one of the things I find most appealing about Web3 and positive about Web3. This guy's a longtime digital artist. Yep. He's been doing this stuff for a long, long time. And he has developed a real and genuine audience, a, a real community. And so what left, what he got going is like, anybody can issue one of these coins, but the whole thing is finding an engaged audience who are actually going to look, interact with it, who are going to use it, who are going to help you shill it. And if you can't get that zero to one, uh, you, you can make all the shit coins you want. They're not going anywhere. So everybody's trying to figure this out, even in the NFT world of like fine art. Um, if you can't get like an engaged community to buy into your project and the water, right? So simple, simple to put these things together from a technical point of view. It's very, very hard to build the trust in the, in the project, the people who are pushing it and all of that other good stuff. So trust. I thought what's super interesting about Turbo was this, this, this guy was able, I guess he launched it and he got crickets. I mean, he only got 50 people to like sign on to the initial ICO. That's right. But then, uh, but then it, it somehow, it hit a vector, somebody, talked about it he got a whale or somebody to like vouch for it and then boom hockey people people created and, a big uh, old nft about turbo and uh and it went uh it went right. crazy after that it went viral people okay yeah so yeah he got he got a real og like uh you know somebody who's who's got the who's got the social credit to be able to make something like that happen and that's why i thought it was really interesting because he exactly as you said you you nailed it on the head he already had an existing audience that he curated and crafted He's already an artist. Like this isn't some degen, some some bullshit developer that has no clout, has no has no. He's the highest seller, the highest, most expensive NFT. Yeah, yeah. he was at Sotheby's. He was at Christie's. Like, yeah, he had a lot of that. Um, the infrastructure, you could say. But for all the other ones, when it comes to AI and all this, we're we're talking 
you know, back to back to misinformation, back to, you know, figuring out a way to identify, authorize, authenticate fact Landau. The Immutable Mindset is proudly supported by Meta Intro, the professional resume wallet for Web3. The multi-chain custodial wallet holds proof of employment, proof of skill, proof of education, replacing the old PDF resume. Adjacent to the project, Meta Intro runs a massive Discord community dedicated to Web3 jobs. Around 4,000 opportunities are posted in the community every month. For more information on Meta Intro, head to www.metaintro.com. That's metaintro.com or follow us on Twitter at metaintro. Thanks. What are you guys doing over there in terms of combating misinformation and, and how does that play a role in everything we're talking about here? Yeah. So, you know, we may be a little behind because <laughs> we were building this before the big AI explosion. We'll probably have to figure out what's our AI strategy. But, you know, we saw a, a, an opportunity for a real blockchain utility that very often people are bolting on or they're trying to figure out what's it good for. Like, and you often hear this argument that, you know, decentralized ledgers are, are they don't do anything new. In fact, they just do something that's very old and they do it in a worse way that doesn't scale well. And uh, there's no real reason for it unless you want to do something permissionless. And the only <laughs> people who want to do anything permissionless are, are, are criminals or people up to bad shit. And that's what I would call misinformation. Uh, not sure that's true, but I'm trying to, you know, that's sort of this, this, this sort of steel man, the other yeah. side of this thing a little bit. At Factland, we were, I actually started a conversation with David Chom, and he's a very OG digital currency guy building his own network called XX. And uh, we were planning to like help build it onto XX. Turned out XX wasn't ready for it. Uh, so we kind of pivoted onto internet computer, but uh, the, the kind of core idea kind of came out of conversations with him. And the problem with verification and, and misinformation, there's a million places that do fact checking. There's a million places that if you trust them, you're gonna get pretty good information. Like, I don't know, Bellingcat, right? Uh, and yeah. the whole OS Intel world. These guys have solved some incredible things using open, uh, just open source information, like videos on YouTube, and they can ge geotag at very credible techniques. And it's pretty wild. They proved, like, that the a Russian rocket launcher took down the M I N one seventeen flight, and you, you can actually see the pictures of the the actual rocket launcher in different places on a oh, wow. train bed and in a, in a field and there's like two rockets on it and then there's one. And then they, they get this stuff from satellite imagery and stuff. It's like crazy. But there's a whole narrative about Bellingcat that's emerged, which is, look, Bellingcat's funded by the U.S. government. They got uh, a, a grant, undisclosed amount, and it's the only undisclosed amount ever issued by this uh, U.S. government organization. It's an NGO, so it's not officially government, but it's actually Congress- dictates its budget and has a say over what, it, what it's, it's a very strange group. And it, it, a lot of people see it as kind of like Voice of America, you know, they're helping uh, democracy in, in places like, you know, Iran and things like that. So a lot of people just think it's cut out for like the CIA, right? And uh, so now the minute Bellingcat says anything now, there's a whole pile of people, oh yeah, but Bellingcat, they're, they're just a front for the CIA. Um, there's no evidence that that's the case, but, you know, people can build these fantasies, right? Yeah. So, um, but the source is a problem, and it, it, it's a it's a problem in journalism as well. I mean, people have done these uh, these studies on, uh, on 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 trustworthiness and credibility in news, and telling people the source of news actually hurts your ability to tell whether it's true or not. So, if you're a fan of the New York Times, you're more likely to believe an article that they wrote that was wrong 
Um, and vice versa, if you hate Fox, you're more likely to disbelieve an article, even when it's true. The effect of telling people the source is to just create a bias. It creates a, a reinforcement bias. Super true. And then you get more things wrong. So that, that's that's kind of wild psychology, but it's apparently well-documented in the, in the literature. So we were thinking, well, what if you remove the source? And like you say, there is no, the source is the community. Uh, this is a group decision. And, and who specifically said it? Well, we're going to keep those people anonymous. So we're going to do a random selection of uh, people from a representative sample of a large community. That's going to deliver the verdict on whether something's true or false. That actually gets you to a place where people are upset with that. You say, well, if you don't like the decisions, join. You know, you can have a say. <laughs> uh, you're not being iced out. No, come on in. Uh, you know, you can even like file, submit your own evidence. You can stake is another big component of this. It's like we, we allow people to bet on the outcome. And that's how you're empowering folks in the community. Yeah. So that creates an incentive system and rewards. And when we actually drop a token that that, oh, nice. that would actually be worth something. So you, people get paid. And I'm thinking, well, if people get paid, then maybe you recruit like a real random sample, which would be students, people who need like just like low touch sources of income. And like reviewing and signing off on misinformation investigations could be something you do in your spare time for an hour a day or less or more. Old retirees could get involved with that. Um, there's a whole sl slew of people who are in the gig economy, you know, driving Lyft and things like that, who could be recruited in to say, well, you want to make a little bit of money for very low touch. This is just, you come in when you want. There's nobody overseeing you. You do what you want. There's no punishment if you do something wrong. <laughs> I mean, maybe we'll do a reputation system at some point so that we could wean out like uh, sort of trolls and people who are like malicious. But the idea is that it's a permissionless and completely decentralized system. So the decisions that have come out of it are, you've got a shadow box. I mean, there's no, there's no actual source to come from. Uh, that's our goal is to create something that has not just uh, the verification layer, but the consensus layer. And we're thinking, what's the psychology of consensus? And it's really about inclusion. It's about adversarial systems, letting people dispute with each other openly, participation. Those are the kinds of things that get people to like lower their resistance to new ideas. If they participate in the debate, if they're allowed to put out uh, so-called unorthodox opinions and have them heard and listened to, it achieves the goal of getting you closer to uh, a place where people might want to change their mind. Uh, I think that's the biggest problem we face with this stuff. It's less about the facts. It's about the people have hardened their positions so, so, so strongly. And they're so tied to politically opposed uh, groups. If you believe X, like you believe in masking, well, that's that's because you're a Democrat. Yeah, you know, uh, it has people just skate right past the science, right? <laughs> like, are you noticing that natural bias within the community as they're as you're empowering them to report in these ways and they report back to you? Is that is that showing up, or what challenges have you faced in terms of that? Our biggest challenge is just participation. Okay, uh, not enough people know about it, and we don't. You know, we kind of built it as a Web two demonstration. We wanted to figure out does the does the whole system work end to end. Yeah, um, and you know, can you file a claim and can you stake on it? But we're we're not really Web three at the moment. You know, people like give us their email address and um, they sign up. You know, Web two kind of way. We do have an integration with uh, Internet Identity, which is the uh, Internet computer version of uh, kind of wallet login. There's only a smattering of like actual blockchain in, um, integrations that are actually functioning. We do store all the jury verdicts on the uh, Internet computer. It's 
verifiable. Anybody can download the data, check on it, and verify that it hasn't been tampered with. When we were thinking about why blockchain, these were sort of the sort of fundamental considerations. It was, well, blockchain gives you something where anyone can go and check, right? Anyone. And so uh, people underestimate that. I was talking to some VCs about it, and they were, well, why does anybody need that? I'm like, well, you know, because like, they'll just trust you, right? And I'm like, well, no, <laughs> I don't want people to trust me. I want them to like have the ability to like independently verify all of this stuff and come up with their own conclusion and not be told it's the right way because somebody said so. Evan, I wanted to get your take you, since since you kind of brought it up and I'm a I'm a, just a curious human being. I'm curious about something. You know, Web three and um, it, just the space in general, blockchain technology. It feels like it has become pretty political. You know, especially in the media. You know, the the media landscape. It really feels like like it feels like the right likes crypto and the left doesn't. And that's kind of like the narrative that plays out. I know there's a, the libertarian you know, aspect of it. I, I get that. But I'm just curious as to you know, how, how you've seen this space develop, how you've seen the media portray this space, and, and just curious about your thoughts on that, just the political leanings of, of yeah, crypto and blockchain. Yeah, well, I can just tell from anecdotally, because uh, I know a lot of journalists and I've shopped block, uh, fact land around. Uh, to a lot of them. Uh, and the very kind of, I would say the consensus view is that they don't think it's a good idea to pursue this. So they like other models of verification, which put journalists in charge of the process, right? And so that you can understand why there's a little bit of uh, um, competition there. So I do think more broadly, we can see it in the regulatory stance in the US in particular, where there's just a large group of people in power who for whatever reason, feel that stuff is threatening and they want to stop it. Unfortunately, feel like that could be, become the reality for people in the U.S. It's just you can have to move. I mean, how big of a point is this going to be in the elections, right? Like, how big of a point is this going to be a major, a major issue in the upcoming elections? No, I don't think so. Elizabeth Warren tried to do something like anti, you know, crypto army or whatever. And I think like four people showed up. I mean, I just don't think it's a, a plank for most people. I think you remember, like, blockchain is. For aficionados, it's, it's very hard to remember that your vanguard, a very tiny vanguard, um, in, in all things considered, like 99% of people don't even understand wallets or anything to do with blockchain or, or Bitcoin. And they conflate a lot of things. You know, blockchain is cryptocurrency and that's it, right? A huge uh, mis misunderstanding, I think, generally about the, the technology. So I just don't see how a politician is going to mobilize a large group of people uh, to like make a difference in the election over blockchain. Agreed. Just like the banks blow up and blockchain turns out. <laughs> agreed. To be right. Agreed. Totally agree with you. How do you envision the, the the future of of media and entertainment? You know, with the continued advancement of Web three technologies, AI. Do you have a vision for how this is going to play out over the next couple of years? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I said Meteor was going to be it. I mean, it's like the, my my tagline for Meteor was uh, make it with AI, sell it with Web three. Ooh, and, I like that. Uh, you know. Web three is ownership. It's 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 when artists creators um, actually get control back of the value of the work they create. I mean, look at the, the, the script writers strike in in Hollywood. I mean, it's like this stuff is still on a level of like just the the, the relationship between the people with capital in entertain, entertainment and the people who actually produce things that people want to consume is just absolutely it's nonsensical. And it's got to it's got to end. And you know, we see a way out with Web three. I think the idea that you can get like 
forward sale royalties is super interesting and compelling. It doesn't always get respected. Uh, I think that's a matter because people still don't want to do like L1 smart contracts because they're really expensive. But then you have to get compliance through like voluntary compliance with people who are the, the smart contract doesn't enforce it itself. Right. That's actually a, a, a big miss by uh, by the Web3 community as a whole. Speculators are winning and the artists are getting left behind. So whatever benefits people who want to flip uh, you know, like Blur and, and those type of uh, operations where it's really geared towards people who are just purely speculating in the asset and not really necessarily want to hold it or like support an artist. They're just like, Pepe, Pepe, I'm going to cash in on that if I can. Um, and I think that's that's bad for the uh, for the overall thing. It's not everybody's not going that way. I just uh, I bought a fractional of that Warhol, uh, which uh, Freeport put out the other day. And there are people who are trying to do some really innovative things around how do you digitize uh, real world assets and how do you bring NFTs into um, spaces like real estate and uh, even like tokenize like, the world, uh, trade and like inventory control and you know. The EU wants to have like digital labeling, like verifiable digital labeling on every product, similar to like ingredients lists and stuff like that. And like, but that's like a ready-made kind of use case for like blockchain. Once you get that stuff in a blockchain, the rails are just that much more efficient, like making sure that everybody can cradle the grave, a product and know where it was in each step of the way and how it got disposed of and all of that other stuff. It's uh it's, it's an underappreciated kind of use case, but I think it's going to kind of come in a, and most people aren't even looking in that place. If you want to learn more about that, talk to guys like Vinay uh, Gupta. He's uh, one of the Ethereum uh, OG guys oh, yeah, who familiar. helped uh, set up the initial Ethereum launch and uh, mainnet. He also runs a company now called Materium, and he's got a lot of interesting things to say about real world assets, which is what he's working on. He actually has a property for sale. I think I'm not sure if it's sold yet, but his company is the back end for a NFT real estate, uh, some mansion on the ocean in like England up for sale. And final question for you here, Evan, what's what's next on the horizon for you? Can you give us a, a sneak peek into do you have any up, upcoming projects or initiatives, anything you're looking at, anything you're excited about? Uh, yeah, well, I'm Factland is my gig right now. Uh, we're, we're pushing to get uh, a second round grant from uh, Definity and trying to raise some more money for it. Once we get that going, we're going to be able to move right now. If you go to demo.factland.org, you can see our kind of web 2.5 version. Uh, my goal is by this year, we're going to have it fully uh, web threeified. We're going to remove the demo from factland.org and uh, have a token and get all the uh, sort of the incentives rolling and start to actively go to market, do some airdrops and try to get people excited about it. That's my main gig for now. In terms of what I'm, uh, what else I'm excited about, I, I am excited about Freeport. I think Freeport's a super interesting company that's doing some interesting stuff. They've got fully SEC um, approval for like. Can you tell our audience what Freeport is? Yeah, Freeport is a. They're a digital. They're a, an art house that's like. Um, uh, they're digitizing real world art assets. Like their first one is a series of Warhol prints. Um, and uh, what they've done is they've, it's kind of a weird, it's not really an NFT, it's a different type of securitization, but it behaves a lot like an NFT. Uh, the point being, you can own a fractional bit of a piece of art like a Warhol. But how are they verifying ownership? They have the ownership and they, they put it into a vault. So they have physical possession of these prints. Um, and the part of their business model is that they, they actually 
uh, plan to create okay. uh, galleries and places where people can visit and see these things. You could maybe create a metaverse version of that where you can visit your digital art in like a, a, a virtual space. Uh, but you own a piece of it. It's it's a piece you can sell. And so, you know, most people can't afford a Warhol. It's like those things, like the record-breaking 40 million. Uh, but it's it, art has outperformed uh, the uh, S&P 500 by like factor of like 10 over the last like 20 years. So it's a way for people to diversify. And also it's completely depegged from like, it, it does not move in, in, uh, uh, in, in lockstep with, uh, with the stock market. Uh, so if you want to diversify, uh, your, your asset mix, um, <laughs> uh, art is actually a really good one. And rich people have figured that out a long time ago. Uh, now it's available for people. I mean, it costs about a, you know, a thousand dollars to get in on a piece of uh, Warhol with less. Some of them I think you could get for two fifty. Art, gold, and Bitcoin. That's uh, that's the way to diversify. That's right. But that's just me. I'm a degen. Thank you so 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 much for joining us today, Evan. That is a wrap on our show. If you could please do us a huge favor and let the people know where to find you on socials and in any in any. Well, we already talked about the the stuff you're working on with Fact Landau. Um, but yeah, please let the people know where to find you on social. Sure. I'm at Evan, E-V-N-H-S-N uh, on Twitter. And that's kind of my main hangout. Awesome. I, I, I'm on Blue Sky as well. And uh, I got an Orb account, um, but I don't remember what those handles are off the top. I, probably it's the same at E-V-N-H-S-N. At E-V-N-H-S-N. Thank you so much. Warpcast is actually a very cool decentralized um, social network as well. Yes, and Blue Sky is up and coming. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where, where that goes. So 100%. To everyone listening at home. Thanks for having me, guys. I really heck yeah, it. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. We'll see you again soon. Please follow us on all social media channels at Immutable Show. Subscribe, comment, network. Thank you for joining us again, Evan. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to The Immutable Mindset. We appreciate you for joining us. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Immutable Show. Subscribe, comment, and network. And catch us next week for more. Take care, folks.